Hello, listeners of the Mad Scientist Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Cogswell, here with my co-host, Marie Mayhew. Marie? You know what I've been watching lately? I'm just going to jump into some tangent really quickly. This is really excellent, and everybody should be watching it. What? The Mandalorian. Yeah, yeah, I heard it's really good. I can't wait to start. You need to be watching Maybe Yoda. No, nope. no, no. So yes, yes. I wasn't even going to say anything about the super cute character. I was going to say it's a space Western. It's really, really good. Right. If you like Westerns, like I'm a big fan of like uh, spaghetti Westerns. You may not know this about me. Huge uh, fan of the Western. I didn't know that. Huge fan of the Western. Weird. Oh, yeah. Spaghetti Westerns, The Searchers, Shane, uh, some of the Clint Eastwoods. Interesting. Uh, okay. Spaghetti Westerns, Man With No Name. And so to see them put, and that's basically to, that's basically what Firefly was, uh-huh. was a space Western. And this is very much sort of in the, um, in the genre of uh, the man with no name, uh, spaghetti Western. And it's shot very much like a Western all the way up to hmm. uh, all the way up to the unveiling of baby Yoda. And then, Everything just goes, just goes like berserk. And it is just like, oh my God, the cutest thing on the face of the planet. It's like, it is like, it is like they have just shot the entire viewer audience with like, I don't know, some sort of drug that is just incapacitated the entire world. <laughs> some kind of cuteness ray that has ruined our civilization. Some, cu- It's ruining our civilization, man. And there's no merch. There's no merch out yet. These yet. bastards. What are they doing? Give like, them time. Like, oh yeah, you know what? There's no merch. They're gonna bl- and you know it's just gonna they're just gonna blanket that stuff for Christmas. It's just gonna be just this 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 just a just a, like it's gonna be like the purge to get you know the purge baby oh, Yoda. Give me the baby Yoda. <laughs> yeah, it's gonna be interesting. You know what, Marie? You know what I think I'm gonna get myself for Christmas this year. What are you getting yourself for Christmas this year? I'm the gonna- second the the holiday after. Two holidays after the only holiday that really matters. Seriously, I know. Seriously, ahead. yeah. I I am going to get myself um, not paying attention to UFO stuff for like an entire year. I think. I'm so excited, what? Marie. I'm so excited. We'll still do episodes you're gonna on them. You're going to turn a blind eye. So you're going to turn a blind eye to your to your to your bet noir. Are you nothing, telling me that? How no, could that be true? That can't no, be true. Nothing ever happens. The audience knows better. It's so Say this, and then you're going to be like, and another thing that makes no sense. You know, no, just teasing. Why no. are you doing this, Chris? It seems, it seems like, I don't know. It seems um, like the beginning of a Christmas carol. No, so I'm going to do it. I, I think I'm going to do it both because uh, we want to get on the show here back into some more kind of, you know, just other topics. You know, we've done a huge amount of this Bigelow series has been intense and this is the final episode in that series, but it also is, yes. you know, it also is kind of the ending of a, um, it kind of lays out, I think the fundamental, the fundamental reasoning behind my thinking at least. And I think in many ways you're thinking too, on the whole ETIP to the stars Academy Bigelow thing. So, and they haven't found anything as cute as Baby Yoda. So you know what? No. F them. No, they haven't found anything as cute as Baby Yoda. So whatever, right? And with that, Jake, roll the tape. So, Marie. So, Chris. So, Marie. Last episode, we ended on the creation of... ETIP. Yes. The government, the government funding cloaking. 
something in, in wormholes. Yeah. Some some ridiculous crazy stuff, right? Some some ridiculous, some not ridiculous, right? Let's let's be clear on that to start with. So yes, Elizondo joins ATIP in 2008, um, and then he will uh, ATIP quickly becomes. Quickly overcomes AAWSAP, AWSAP. The worst, the worst acronyms in the world. Um, As the two of the major related groups, right? So initially, ATIP is a smaller part of the AWSAP, you know, family of groups, I guess. And then ATIP quickly becomes the one that's the most legitimate. And the person who actually founds, or the person who runs um, the overall project initially, Dr. James Lekatsky, will actually end up. Um, ultimately saying that this this whole project ruined his career um, and basically, you know, caused him to um, not really have a place um, in kind of the, the world scientific of, community. Yeah, well, you know, just in the world of like, yeah. uh, what's the word? I, I don't know. Yeah, I guess I guess the uh, I guess the scientific community. I don't really know. Right. Um, but it's interesting anyways. Um, so. All right. What um, what oh, ends God. up happening then? And the reason that this happens supposedly is because uh, so Elizondo says that this whole thing he he eventually will come out and say that this whole thing um, started to be viewed in the minds of some of the higher ups um, that mm-hmm. this was related to kind of demons or anti Judeo Christian belief systems, right? Which I mean, frankly, if there's one thing that this series has kind of I think pointed out, it's that there is this kind of weird pseudo-mystical, you know, non-Judeo-Christian fringe. Not really, I don't know, there's like a, that has been part of the kind of, I think, American upper echelon culture since the 60s and 50s. Well, yeah, if you're getting your funding from the federal government and from Congress, you know, if that's where your budget is being derived from, you know, spoiler alert, the majority of them are are Judeo-Christian and have very... Uh, traditional values when it comes to looking at that stuff. Yeah. So it's kind of, it's kind of, I think it's part of one of the overall mysteries of this whole thing is how did non kind of traditional Judeo-Christian style belief systems get such a foothold in the, in the military. Um, And I think a lot of that Mm -hmm. has to do with Stubblebean and um, you know, his openness to those kinds of ideas. And also frankly, to the, just the weirdness of the sixties and seventies, but well, yeah. And they wanted some sort of weapon, whatever kind of, Whatever it would take to get a weapon that would beat communism. Yeah. Right? That would be global dominance. It doesn't matter where it comes from. It's like I'm sure that they would look into anything if they thought like, hey, you know, this would beat the Ruskies. Right. And so at a certain what, point. what Elizondo says is, quote, um, I experienced – so UAP has even been associated with demons and anti-Judeo-Christian beliefs. I experienced, th- I experienced this firsthand during my time working at the U.S. government's Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program, ATIP where certain senior government officials thought our collection of facts on unidentified aerial phenomena, UAP, was dangerous to their philosophical beliefs. In fact, my ATIP predecessor's career was ruined because of misplaced fears by an elite few. Rather than accept the data as provided by a top-ranked rocket scientist, they decided the data was a threat to their belief system and instead destroyed his career because of it, end quote. Um... We don't... We kind of... We don't really have a lot of, like, other collab... We don't really have a lot of other corroborations. Yes. We don't really have a lot of other corroboration for that, yeah. but it is interesting that he says this. So yeah, I have a, 
a quick question about that. So when he said that these people destroyed his kind of destroyed his career, there, this wasn't really widely um, circulated uh, initiative, was it? I mean, if you look at if you look at sort of the list of their um, the list of things that they were working on and who it was put out to, uh, it's like a handful or a small group, like two subcommittees. And then I think the gang of eight pretty much. Yeah, it was not it was not it was not a huge amount of people who knew about this. And really, I think in the way that it seems like it was discussed or talked about, it was more. Uh I mean, look at the things that they look at the things that we know they were working on. Some of this stuff is not as ridiculous as others. You know what I mean? Um, And I mean, I mean, none of it, none of it is really ultimately ridiculous. Right. They did a very good job of pushing it forward in such a way that made it seem, you know, um, legitimate enough that this was going to be going to be funded. However, you know, mm-hmm. some of the stuff, right, the transversible wormholes, stargates and negative energy by Davis, that's probably not really a thing. Um, you know, um, biosensors, that's probably another one that, you know, maybe kind of. But the biosensors thing, it's funny, actually, I have a friend who um, as part of his master's degree for electrical engineering, mm-hmm. did a project on trying to trying to study or measure the body's biofield. Right. Ooh. And of course there's nothing to it. I mean, they, this professor though was like, Oh, I want to test it. There's this book that says this would be really interesting, whatever. And they found nothing. And then I think his ultimate like biorhythms kind of big thing well, more, the 60s? more, I think more like it was weird. It was like, it was like you'd be on a bed and they'd measure your E they'd measure your electromagnetic, um, the field around you as you slept and saw if they could induce, like if you had a dream, you know, th- that kind of stuff, right? It was it was very strange. It was a very strange project. And it went nowhere for a whole year. And then finally he was like, he told his advisor, like, listen, I need to get something I can actually write a thesis on. <laughs> and, and so we need to do something here. And then I think he ended up doing a thing oh, on like nice. time, you know, measuring a clock or an atomic clock or something. But anyways, whatever. Um so yeah, it's not a huge amount of people that know about this project. Uh, so Bigelow, though, again, is kind of the main player here in terms of a corporate um, corporate liaison or a corporation that has part of this. And in 2009, he again dips his toe into the kind of MUFON milieu with what is known as the Star Team. And so mm-hmm. this is a quote from the Star Team website from MUFON. It says, Star Team Impact Project, a bold and aggressive step forward in tracking the alien presence among us. Um, he, uh, at the time, the MUFON director is James Carrion. And he says in his director's message, kind of, of, of uh, a director's message goes out with every one of the journals. He says that it's going to be a uh, subcontract um, where MUFON is being paid by Bigelow Aerospace, Advanced Aerospace, Space Studies and Space Studies, B-A-A-S-S mm-hmm. again, Bass, bass, bass. Terrible, terrible acronym. What's going on, UFO field? Um, it says, "quote." It's like it can't even come up with Mufon too. Is sort of like, terrible, absolutely terrible. Know. So it's not good. So Carrion says, "quote um, Mufon." So Mufon has been subcontracted to provide rapid response UFO investigation services to Bigelow Aerospace Advanced Space Studies, and has initiated the Star Team Impact Project to provide these services. Bass will pay for laboratory testing of physical evidence collected. Mm-hmm. Essentially, mm-hmm. what it is mm-hmm. is Bigelow is paying MUFON investigators 
paying for their investigations, um, for them to go out into the field. They're given they're given materials. They're given, I mean, slight training, again, kind of from the MUFON training normally. Um, but they're given collection kits. They're given access to, to laboratories that Bigelow works with or owns to test materials. They're given uh, flights, right? They can fly out when a supposed crash happens, everything else. Yeah. The, um, the, they're basically just given deep pockets. Exactly, yeah. I mean, that's... Yeah. And so some of them... Keep taking their money. Some of the most... Keep taking this money. Yeah, some of the most important MUFON members at the time are part of this group, including Steve Hudgens, Debbie Ziegelmeyer, Chase Klotsky, um, and others who you've probably heard of or seen on TV and things. But, you know, they kind of... The MUFON world is funny because it's kind of always the same players that kind of rise and fall and then rise and fall and then rise and fall. But very quickly, the star team falls into disrepute and they start having arguments with Bigelow about who owns the cases, who owns the materials. Um, what? Yeah. That's crazy. Weird. That's so weird. What? And so. Um, Can I just intervene very quickly? Because I think the one thing that Bigelow also does spend money on and does not have a problem spending money on is like legal counsel. <laughs> right. Which I don't think like I'm sure the retainer of his legal team is a deep bench with a lot of people and a lot of time and a lot of resources. Certainly deeper than MUFON. MUFON from what we have seen in actually in their disclosed, you know, uh, annual reports and their finances, really they don't have, like if you're going to get into this sort of dispute, first of all, if you, if you take the money, it's his stuff. Yeah. It, you, it's just, Anyways, so it just kind of cracks me up that they're like, well, you know, and now we're going to have a dispute about this. And I'm like, oh, man, like you guys can't afford to buy the suit to show up to court to to go after this stuff. Why would you think it's a good idea to even? All right. Sorry. No, no, no. It's fine. It's um, it's a huge it's a huge thing. Right. It's it's hilarious. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So by all means, keep taking their money like in another three years, they'll do it again. Um, yeah, exactly. It's, they're going to, you know, they're, so what, so what ends up happening is some of the MUFON membership becomes very, again, because of the Carpenter affair, that's still kind of fresh in people's minds, you know, Mm -hmm. and the people that are part of Mm -hmm. MUFON, it's not, there's not like a huge turnover for members. A lot of the people that have stuck with MUFON through the years have stuck with them through, you know, thick and thin. These are people who, you know, went through the John, the, the Carpenter affair and went through, the changes in leadership and went through the hoaxes and the, you know, all the things that move on has been involved with that have ended up not being, um, you know, uh, just whatever, right. Just, these are people mm-hmm. that have been there for a long time. They've been there for the good and the bad. And for a lot of them, yes. the star team thing is just another aspect of kind of, you know, well, the leadership of MUFON does its own thing, but the local chapters are completely almost separate entities. You know, they share the name, right. they send dues cause they're all members and they use MUFON's uh, kind of case management system internally to track their cases and things. But for all mm-hmm. intents and purposes, MUFON operates, um, you know, as individual separate Spifedoms. entities. Yeah, as little fiefdoms. Yeah, yeah exactly. Mm-hmm. So um, part of the part of the issue that people have with this is that um, they believe that MUFON may actually be or rather that Bigelow may be hiding cases and materials and other information from MUFON members with the star team. That's that he may be 
collecting this cherry stuff. picking. Well, yeah, cherry picking <laughs> what cases he keeps, what, ke- oh. what cases he allows to become public, um, taking supposed crashed UFO materials, things like that. Right? There are still rumors, you know, floating around the MUFON world that this was all some kind of big cover up operation. So it's it's interesting. But so by January 2010, supposedly they're no longer sending Bigelow samples anymore. But, mm-hmm. you know, who the hell knows? So in <sighs> in 2010 now, so that's 2009. Mm-hmm. In 2010, the project that was known as AAWSAP, ASOP, ends. Mm-hmm. And ATIP officially becomes the new de facto group. Those contracts that Bigelow was working under that he bid for end. And Elizondo states that he will move the program to the office of the Secretary of Defense, or OSD. At that point, officially, the project will uh, the project will kind of go under and continue until 2012, when it supposedly ends. Although Elizondo says that it keeps going, it just changes names and it gets moved someplace else. Twenty ten goes off book. Right. Twenty ten yeah. is also another important year. Because it is the year that a Christopher J. Marks will claim that he begins working on Skinwalker Ranch and that he's working there for Bigelow Aerospace. Now, we said in the last episode that when the, the NIDS team ended, technically research on the ranch ended as well. However, the people that were on the ranch doing the actual investigations and things, those were never really NIDS members. They weren't on that scientific advisory board they weren't the public face of NIDS. They were people actually interns. Yeah. I mean, they, you know, they know. I mean, they were kind of like security guards, you know, with, um, with yeah. video cameras. Yeah. And in some cases, not even with really video cameras. Now, no. Mark's, Mark's claim, cell phones, Mark's claim come to us um, because of his, uh, his interviews and things on the show UFO classified with Erica Luke's, which you should definitely check out. These are really interesting interviews. Um, Chris, uh, Mr. Marks has now gone on to other shows and things too, to give his interviews, but it's, it's very interesting, right? Um, he later, later, this will eventually lead to other people coming out. People that also worked with him. One of his teammates supposedly will come out and say the teammate's name is also Christopher, but it's Christopher Bartell. And, um, they're clones. Well, what's, what's interesting is, and they're clones. What's interesting is they're cloning interns and giving them cell phones. What's interesting is that these aren't just people coming out and saying these things and they're, you know, it's crackpots or whatever. They have documentation to prove that they were on the ranch. They have their signed contracts mm-hmm. with Bigelow. They have forms they signed. They have their logs and things. If this is a hoax, it is a tremendous hoax. And, and, you know, I just don't think that that's the truth is stu- the truth is stupid enough. that you know um the truth is stupid enough that we don't need we don't need a hoax in this case and um and yeah so this is kind of this is kind of now a new era here where bigelow aerospace is taking over on the ranch and so uh with that we're gonna have a quick word from our sponsors I'm Ken Harbaugh, host of Burn the Boats from Evergreen Podcasts. I interview political leaders and influencers, folks like award-winning journalist Soledad O'Brien and conservative columnist Bill Kristol about the choices they confront when failure is not an option. I won't agree with everyone I talk to. 
but I respect anyone who believes in something enough to risk everything for it. Because history belongs to those willing to burn the boats. Episodes are out every other week wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. All right, so Christopher Bartel and Christopher Marks come forward. They claim that mm-hmm. they initially were bound by an NDA. However, since the ranch was sold, he doesn't feel like he is bound by that NDA anymore. And so he's not he's not yeah. he's not really worried about it. Which I mean, I don't know. Maybe. Right? Who knows? Yeah. He will claim That's curious. That he mm-hmm. will claim that the main reason he is gonna come forward is because of the documentary Hunt for the Skinwalker by Jeremy Corbell. Which he will claim oh, is a, which he claims is a misrepresentation, and overall an, an attempt at commercializing the ranch that he is not comfortable being part of or or having any, you know, seeing happen essentially. What? <laughs> you mean to tell me that wasn't a a right. a factually based hard hitting documentary? First of all, I thought it was a frontline documentary. It was just missing the voice, the frontline voice for Hunt for the Skinwalker. I think, okay, so when I started to watch this, I was texting Cogs because he was about asleep at that point. And I think I got like maybe 10 minutes into it and I had to turn it off because I was just constantly texting it. Like it was the most, like, I can't even, I can't even. So we see more of George Knapp's rec room than anything else in the entire series. <laughs> yeah. Like, why yeah. are you shooting? Like, if, like, again, like, I know that this has gritty, you know, this, this uh, cinema verte of going in and finding this stuff out and they're showing it and they're showing him and then they're showing like all the video cassettes and all the stuff. And there's his rec room with his like kind of, you know, early 80s art and ceiling fan and popcorn ceiling. And you're like, man, I just, this is a bit much. This is just much. I still yeah. have to listen to the. I still have to do the rest of it. I just. I was like, just, just snippets at a time. Snippets at a time. Yeah. So full disclosure. So this, this Jeremy Corbell is the guy that did the Bob Lazar documentary too, and has kind of been on the Bob Lazar, um, you know, recreation of his. Uh, I guess sounded like public image tour, basically. Mm, mm, uh, Corbell and what Nap- was this other? Yeah. What was this other claim to fame? There was something else that was good. Corbell's other claim to fame. Yeah, what was that? Oh my god. It's quantum jujitsu, a type of oh martial my god, art. That's a type what I'm of martial about. art that he is supposedly developed. I don't know what quantum jujitsu is. I hesitate <sighs> to find out. I don't care. It's not it seems very unimportant, but just not not to this little black duck, it doesn't. <laughs> Anyways. That's so, an entire episode is quantum jujitsu. Right. So uh so Marx will say, "Imagine the dojo that is quantum jujitsu." <laughs> Marx will say, <laughs> "David Marie, David Marie." <laughs> Marx and others right, will say, "It's okay." Marx and others will say <sighs> that the you know, Marx claims to have worked on the ranch from 2010 to 2016. Mm. Um, what he what he will say is that during his time on the ranch, there were. No serious test of any kind done on the ranch itself. No tests for, uh, no tests for, you know, ghosts or 
goblins or <laughs> ghouls or Anomalies. UFOs or aliens or skinwalkers or anything. Orbs. No orbs. He says that they did give them some materials. They gave them cameras, EMF detectors, thermal imaging gear, mm-hmm. whatever. But that it's all in such bad condition and it's so outdated that he actually ends up buying – they end up buying some of their own equipment on the team. But what he will say is that the only thing that was consistently tested on the ranch Mm -hmm. were the workers on the ranch themselves. (laughs) So he will claim that uh, when he first recruited, he was required to sign a documentation and he has the documentation. But he he was required to sign something – that said that he would undergo periodic medical testing, including things like, you know, an ECG, blood and urine analysis, EKGs, um, all that kind of stuff. So he quick says, question. Go ahead. Why do you think, what are you, what are they testing for? What are they looking for? So I have a couple different, I have a couple different ideas in this. One of which we're going to get into more seriously here, but okay. right. the more, the less conspiratorial theory or the, you know, the more, mm-hmm. um, What's the word? The more benign explanation, I guess, or the, the less kind uh-huh. of crazy explanation uh-huh. would be that they are just they just want to make sure that anyone who's on the ranch, if they have a sighting, people uh-huh. can't go and say, oh, they were drunk or they were high or they had some kind of, you know, they had epilepsy or something that would cause them to have a seizure right. or they were hallucinating or whatever. I think right. that they I think that they just that's one way of looking at this. That They just wanted to make sure that everyone on the ranch was was uh, healthy Clean enough. Health. Exactly, yeah. was healthy enough to be a okay. good witness. Uh, on the other hand, okay. though, what what will come out? So this is this is from a report on Eight News Now in mm-hmm. Las Vegas. This is the home mm-hmm. of George Knapp. This is the the station that he works for. So quote, this is from 2018. Quote. Bass broke new ground in professionalism by hiring, training, and deploying 50 full-time staff comprising retired military intelligence and law enforcement officers, PhD-level scientists, engineers, technicians, analysts, translators, and project managers to create the largest multidisciplinary full-time, full-time team in history to investigate <laughs> the UFO topic. The investigation by Bass provided new lines of evidence showing that the UFO phenomena was a lot more than nuts and bolts machines that interacted with military aircraft. The phenomenon also involved a whole panoply of diverse activity that included bizarre creatures, poltergeist activity, invisible entities, orbs of light, animal and human injuries, and much more. The exclusive focus on nuts and bolts machines could be considered myopic and unproductive in solving the larger mystery of UFOs. One of the major well, actually su- based, but whatever, that's cool too. <laughs> One of the major successes of Bass was in adopting the novel approach of utilizing the human body as a readout system for dissecting interactions with the UFO phenomena. This novel approach aimed to circumvent the increased evidence of deception and subterfuge by the UFO phenomena, and that multiple eyewitnesses co-located in the same vicinity frequently reported seeing wildly different events. The evidence was multiplying that the UFO phenomena was capable of manipulating and distorting human perception, and therefore eyewitness testimony of UFO activity was becoming increasingly untrustworthy. The Bass approach was to view the human body as a readout system for UFO effects by utilizing forensic technology, the tools of immunology, cell biology, genomics, and neuroanatomy for in-depth study of the effects of UFOs on humans. This approach marked a dramatic shift away from the traditional norms of relying on eyewitness testimony as the central evidentiary arm in UFO investigations. The approach aimed to bypass UFO deception and manipulation of human perception by utilizing molecular forensics to decipher the biological consequences 
of the phenomena. The result of applying this new approach was a revolution in delineating the threat levels of UFOs. End quote. What? Can I call bullshit on all of this? I'm sorry. So here's the thing. This is a statement from a senior manager of Bass, is what it said. It's posted by staff on the 8 News Now uh, news page, May 4th, 2018. It's updated May 9th, 2018. Here's the thing. Yeah. That is someone... Oh, one thing? <laughs> yeah, sorry. This seems to suggest that after testing, the ranch itself stopped working. They instead decided to start studying the people who were on the ranch every day. This would be a comical breach of ethics that they are cool. performing tests yeah. on human subjects yeah. in the desert yeah. on this ranch yeah. in some weird well, way. Well, even, even, so even if they had their, even if, even if it wasn't a breach of ethics, it's not even based in reality, right? I mean, first of all, you can't take a bunch of people and just test the few things that they said that they were testing them for, which would be, right, EKG, uh, your urine, your blood, and test for uh, all of this other stuff that they're talking about. Especially not over without any type of without any type of baseline, without any type of medical history, without any type of ongoing uh, like control group. Well, also, I mean, well, also that the people on the ranch don't seem to have known that they were being studied. Like, obviously, when you test, when you do a human trial right. or something. Right. The people have to give again have to consent. give kind of uh, yeah, active consent, right? Yeah. Yes. Um yes. because otherwise yes. otherwise medical records. Yeah. Otherwise there's no way first off there's there's no way of I mean there's no way of ethically doing the test itself, but then there's also the problem of what do these people think is happening then? Right? Like if and, and here's the other part of this too, right? So Erica, Erica Lukes and others will now claim that this is actually evidence that perhaps what Bigelow Aerospace was really testing in the desert there wasn't, wasn't even the occupants themselves. It was the occupants' responses to non-lethal weaponry. Well, yeah. Now, I mean, there's no, it could be there, one thing, but... There's no, yeah, there's no, there's no, uh, as far as we can report on this in this episode, right? In this series, that's, that's a theory, right? That's a serious, that's a theory. However, it would, the, the very fact of them doing this kind of testing in this way is in its own way, I think ethically problematic. And I think also quite, um, I don't know, quite pretty, like pretty damn crazy that to think that this guy, you know, um, a guy who 20 years ago was just, you know, just selling hotels is suddenly <laughs> um, suddenly taking people's blood and urine it, to test it for, I, I mean, who God knows what, you know? Well, so what were the, te- so really quickly, what were they gathering from the subjects again? They were gathering an EKG, which is basically blood, blood urine, EKG, um, ECG. Okay. And so ECG is what ECG is I'm encephalo- encephalogram. I think it's like a brain test. 
Okay. So, but it's not, again, like kind oh, no, of. No, 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 no. Sorry, 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 sorry. No. no yeah, I was going to say. ECG is just the same thing as an EKG. It's an electrocardiogram. Electrocardiogram. So yeah, but here's the thing, right? The they'll they'll claim that other they'll claim that other tests were done though too, right? Like CT scans and whatever. They'll say that they were MRI, they had CT scans done, they had et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? Um mm-hmm. but None I mean, of I don't, these I don't, things I, would track anything that they're talking about though. Well, the thing is that they they are operating under the assumption again that again, if we go back to Scientology, they are operating right. under the assumption that your body's electrical field can be used to manipulate or be manipulated by the forces around you. So they are operating on this theory that this is the way that psychokinetics or psychic powers or whatever happen. And so maybe this is a psychic phenomena, but there still has to be an underlying physical reason, I think, that they would argue or they would think for how this would happen, like mechanically how it would actually happen. Right, but none of the stuff that they're doing would show any of that or, or could prove any of that with any even, – even subjectively. Right. I mean, because basically you could argue like, let's say it's it's the same thing in arguing with the um, the Cuban, the Cuban sonic attack. Right. That they said that they had an event and it caused this brain damage, quote unquote, brain damage in certain in certain individuals. But what they couldn't they couldn't track is what the base was when they started any of those events to begin with. Right, yeah, like they I mean, couldn't say that those people didn't have something or didn't have a a pre-existing condition that would have, you know, or that again the 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 parameters well, of their tests mm, weren't. Yeah, sorry, but, in, go ahead. but in this case, these are people that are mm-hmm. living in a closed-off environment that is controlled in some way, and they have a baseline of this is what their results looked like every period of time where nothing weird happened, and then you know the day after a weird event, this is what the results looked like. Do you know what I mean? So I think as opposed to say this, as opposed to say the sonic attack, if they did see something, uh, you know, if they did notice something, I don't know what they would see. You know, maybe they would look, I don't know, maybe they would look like in the blood for, you know, an increase in like radioactive, I don't know, tracers of like radiation damage or something like I Honestly, I don't know, but I don't, I don't think it matters. I think it's neither here nor there. Who cares what they were testing for? They Should they have been testing in the first place? Well, you know what I mean? No, I These agree. are people yeah. who were shooting psychic bullets at goats. Who the hell knows? You know, like, who knows? Who knows what they were searching for? It does. I don't think it matters at all what they were searching for. I think what matters is that there are these people who were tested on without their consent or knowledge necessarily. You know, I mean, of course, yeah, they signed the form to get it done or whatever, but still, that's not the same thing as consent. Um, right, right. No, I agree. Uh, that both yeah. are grievous. I'm just saying even if they had consent – there's nothing, there's no science to this. Like no. you can't even argue that it's for the greater good of understanding something because they would have gotten this, they would have gotten this, um, these results and they would have been factually even evident right. of anything. Yes. I mean, it was yeah. uh, a yeah. violation of, of, of PHI, but it was also, it was also complete BS. Right. Oh. So, and now right. we're all worked up. So, so that's happening at the ranch, Right. While this is happening in 2013, Bigelow receives a $17.8 million deal with NASA to place one of his, um, he calls them beams, Bigelow expandable activity module. Um, He wants to place one on the ISS and it's actually given, um, it's on the ISS. It's given a mission extension in 2017. (laughs) The idea about all of this is that he will charge space tourists money to go into space. 
Um, he stated his stated goal is a privately owned space station by 2023. Currently, then, what happens? Or I guess sort of what happens, right? I mean, that's basically where we are right now, you know? Yep. Um, in 2015, DeLong will start to the Stars Academy. Um, it will eventually include Luis Elizondo, who will leave ATIP in two, or he will leave ATIP in 2017 to join to the Stars Academy. It will also include Hal Pudoff, Jim Semivan, and Steve Justice. Semivan is said to have had a UFO experience of his own. Supposedly him and his wife uh, were abducted. Um, Steve Justice is the former head of the Lockheed Martin Skunk Works. We don't, we don't really know how all these players come together in some cases, right? I mean, for most of them, it's easy, right? How Elizondo and, you know, how Elizondo fits in with Bigelow. And so here's the other thing, too. People will claim that Bigelow has nothing to do with To The Stars Academy. But think about everything we have learned so far in this series, right? All of these mm-hmm. names are tied directly to Bigelow in their search for UFO inter- uh, information, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Pudoff is essentially a, a is essentially on retainer with Bob Bigelow as his scientist. He's made his career um, after transitioning back over to kind of aerospace ish stuff and psychic stuff, whatever in the in the eighties and nineties. Right, the, the person he glommed onto was Bigelow, and Bigelow has essentially had Pudoff on all of his major projects since then. Justice, I think it would make sense for him and Bigelow to know each other. Because we know in that letter that Bigelow wrote to Edgar Mitchell that they were testing a piece of UFO debris at the Lockheed Martin Skunk Works. If Justice was the head of the Skunk Works at that time, then the person that Bigelow would have been in contact with, or at least someone who would have known of Bigelow's existence, would have had to have been Steve Justice. Mm -hmm. So that would make sense there, right? Elizondo worked for a government program where Bigelow was the only bidder and was the major outside contractor. So every one of these people essentially has been working there. The only ones that are sphere to be non Bigelow people are DeLong and Semivan. Now there are rumors, none, not really documented or anything else that Semivan has been part of this UFO field since, since their experience, whatever you want to call it, um, occurred to them. And so Semivan has supposedly kind of been flitting around this field for some time. Similar things will be say about Steve justice as well. But I don't think, you know, Justice's connection, I think, is clearer or at least more sensible, potentially. Long, however, will say early on in his research that he met with an aerospace mogul, essentially. Um, And through WikiLeaks, we know that he was meeting with other government officials about this stuff. He was talking to government officials at the time that Bigelow was the only contractor working on these projects. So it would make, again, perfect sense. And we know, I mean, we know now that Bigelow and DeLong have met. Um, there's vi- there's pictures of them on Instagram. There's, you know, whatever, right? Right, right. Um, and so Semivan actually will say in the intro to the Secret Machines book, um, part one, right? He'll say, quote, as for my formal introduction to the phenomena, as we know it in today's context, it came suddenly and unexpectedly. I will not attempt to go into the experience here, but I will say that it was one of life's game changers for both my wife and me. The experience was simultaneously frightening, perplexing, frustrating, and absurd. It was also both physical and emotional, although I am undecided as to whether there was any spiritual addendum. Almost 30 years later, I am still not sure what to make of the experience. What I do know, however, is that this event changed my view 
of what constitutes our collective version of reality, end quote. So that's that's basically where things are now, right? To the Stars mm-hmm. Academy has kind of continued that relationship with the government that Bigelow started with the Bigelow Aerospace ATIP ASOP program thing. Um, they have a CRADA, which is a uh, combined research agreement or a defense agreement or something like that. Combined st- stands for, again, terrible, terrible acronyms. All the good Bad ones are acronyms. taken. All the acronyms are taken. Well, Stop trying to do I mean, acronyms, people. I know. <sighs> but <sighs> anyways. So- code names. Well, I mean, basically the other thing, too, is it's like it's where the money is. Bigelow is where the money is. If you want money or if you have a have any kind of foray into this, you're going to come into his periphery. Yeah. He is going to put money at you. I just seems like to me, it's like, that's, that's, that's the, the crack, right. That everybody gets hooked on. If you you have, you want to go into this funding, but it's expensive. Like there's equipment, there's capital investment, you know, you're going to have to commit yourself to it, you know, and you're also excluding yourself from a lot of other work like we were seeing with the other scientists. It's like they're not going to you may not go back to a um, a job at a university necessarily. So it's sort of like you have to have be able to figure out a way to fund the program and, you know, make sure that you're putting, you know, food on your table type of thing. And the person who does that is Bigelow. He's he's the money. I think what's this. I think what's fascinating about all this is you have this guy, this, you know, Bigelow, this figure mm-hmm. who has been on the one hand exceptionally successful in some of his ventures. Mm-hmm. You know, the hotel business and the kind of the tourist business, the space business, literally the aerospace oh God, business, yes. getting out into space. Um. And then you have, on the other hand, his kind of continued efforts with a, with, with a group who, from the outside, appear to be appear – uh, appear to have provided nothing, no return on investment for this man. That we know, you know of. And the, people, and the people that have provided return on investment, such as John Alexander uh-huh. – who you know created a created a statistical survey result right created mm-hmm. actually gathered data and did things whatever eventually seemed to stop working for him so it's it's such a weird to me it's such a weird part of the story that again from the outside it appears that none of this has worked none of this has led to anything but he keeps getting money to study this stuff so what if right what if it's what if it's actually worked what if he's actually yeah I don't That's know exactly it. how That's how what I keep coming back to. Yeah. Like how much. But he definitely ha- has something. He definitely one, knows something that we don't. One has to wonder how much. How much how willing is the government to throw money at something that doesn't work just because of blatant corruption? You know, I don't think there's any I don't think there is any. um I don't think you can make the case that Bigelow getting the contract for ATIP, ASOP, whatever you want to call it. I don't think you can right. make the case that that wasn't corruption. That that wasn't just like blatant corruption of Reed no. getting his no. buddy a sweet government contract to study something they're both kind of interested in. You know? Agreed. Agreed. Um, I think that that is blatant corruption. I think that there is also a good deal of a history there of this group. 
um, of this group making or getting money from the government to study these odd things or these these kind of extreme phenomena or whatever, and then there being really no no comeuppance, <laughs> you know, like there's no there seems to be no it's it seems to be government it's at its worst. There seems to be no um, punishment for failure, right? You just keep failing upwards. It's like you just keep being in it and you just keep getting mm-hmm. higher and higher pay and more and more position. But I don't I don't really think that that's how things if that's the way things work, it's very depressing. Well, I mean, I look at it two separate things. Like, I think that Bigelow would be doing it with or without the government and their money. Because really, if you look at it, they haven't given him a huge amount of money. Oh, they've no. Given him, they've given him a good chunk of money, but not a lot. Not a lot. But I don't know what he has uh, acquired or what knowledge he na- has now. I think that that's like almost, to me, the even the bigger question or the more interesting question is he just keeps at it. Like, he's much more... It seems like after this whole thing with um, Skinwalker, he's much quieter with this in some ways. And or it's much more it became much more public. His involvement was much more public. But I would assume he's still out there and he's still acquiring. He's still going, you know, full speed well, so, with yeah, everything. At right. This, I mean, at this, at this point, we're kind of left with mm-hmm. two potential converging or diverging theories. There is, on the one hand, maybe this is just a story of corruption. This is just a group of people. Craft. Yeah. This is just a group of people who have been able to, by hook or by crook, get funding for their kind of pet projects and are just really good at that part of this. Mm-hmm. You know, they're really good at, at kind of, they've just been in the right place at the right time. And maybe this is just a weird kind of, maybe this is just kind of a weird part of science, you know? This is just like a weird story. And there's stories like this in, mm-hmm. in throughout history of the history of the sciences, you know, um, mm-hmm. in the Soviet Union. We talked about Lamarck and uh, Lamarckian genetics, right? Mm-hmm. Um, another kind of field where it was based on faulty science, but it just kept happening because people wanted to believe it. You know, yep. it fit in with the time period. Yep. On the other hand, maybe Bigelow kept knocking at the door and finally someone let him in. I don't know. Like, again, like I'm not to me, the least interesting part of this is the involvement with government. Like, it just makes sense that he would acquire that as much as he would acquire any privately held industry. Right. Like uh, anything, anything that that touches this or that he can get that he can get his his hooks into to understand how much they know and who knows what within that group. Like he's an acquirer. He's collected all of this stuff. And out of everything that he's collected, there's got to be something that it keeps propelling him to do it. Because if it, if if he came up dry every single time, you would think. I mean, the man is now in his I want to say seventies or eighties. Yeah, he's he's he'd up probably there. he'd probably be like, you know what? I'm done spending money on this. I am now going to take all my money out and put it into horticulture, you know, or whatever. But he's not. He's not. He's putting X amount into into the space program and for space tourists, which to me is a very legitimate front. But at the same time, he's still like he's still associated with all this stuff. So I think he had he's not he does not he does not make poor investments. But then you know what, Marie? Look at Michael Bloomberg. Hmm. Right? <laughs> another what? billionaire, another billionaire who has spent money 
on a mm-hmm. ridiculous fantasy for decades. For decades. Agreed. Agreed. And with that, listeners, we will end this series on Robert Bigelow. We are so happy you stuck with us throughout this entire series here. We are finally done with Robert Bigelow. So he can he can officially, you know, take the satellite out of orbit. We do not need to be monitored anymore. Right. We're done. We're done. You can get the black bands out of the hallways. Or we didn't get anything more. We didn't get out of yeah, get get them out of our cul-de-sacs, man. You're making yeah. the neighbors nervous. Maybe and actually it's funny too. I wanted to touch on one thing before we end here. Maybe mm. the least maybe the least mysterious part of all this is who owns Skinwalker Ranch now. We didn't get into it because, frankly, it's like a Google search away. Um, <laughs> it's just not – it doesn't Ooh, seem to be That important. should be for Patreons. That should be our Patreon. All right. We'll do a Patreon one on maybe who owns the ranch <laughs> now. We'll oh. see. Anyways, dear listeners, we love you so much. Thank you for listening. Happy Thanksgiving. Quantum Jiu-Jitsu. This is going to release after Thanksgiving, <laughs> I think. So I hope you had a good Thanksgiving. And uh, we'll be back next week with another episode. Thank you again, dear listeners, for listening to the Mad Scientist podcast. I have been your host, Chris Cogswell, joined by my co-host, Marie Mayhew. If you'd like to contact the show, please send us an email at themadscientistpodcast at gmail.com. That's all one word. You can also follow us on Twitter at madscientistpod or at teamgiantsquid for Marie. And of course, you can see us on Facebook, on Instagram, and all over the internet as the Mad Scientist Podcast. And again, our logo is the one with the pumpkin head, so it's easy to see. Mm-hmm. If you've enjoyed the show tonight, please consider supporting us on Patreon, where the money that you give to us will help us to promote this show further, to make it better, and just to spend more time making it. Because we love doing that. We do love doing that. Our logo was designed by Carrie Shaheen, our... Web design is done by Desdemona Howard. Woo-hoo. And our sound design is done by Jake Cardinal. Thanks again for listening. <laughs> Thank you. This has been a damn it chippy production. Hey, hey there. there. I'm Hannah. And I'm Audrey. We are a sister filmmaking duo and co-hosts of Sleepover Cinema, our show where we analyze the films that created the collective unconscious of the girls, gays, and theys of the late 90s and early 2000s. Princess Diaries, The Cheetah Girls, Aquamarine, Cinderella, the one starring Brandy. We haven't stopped thinking about these movies since we first saw them, and we want you to rewatch them and review them with us. Are these movies as bad as critics would have us believe? Do we even care if they are? We are always unpacking that very question on Sleepover Cinema. Check out Sleepover Cinema wherever you get your podcasts or at evergreenpodcasts.com. See you soon.